Hey there, Edge friends. Welcome to the PL Playbook Podcast, a show about all things related to professional learning in education. I'm your host, Jackie Weinkoop, proud Pennsylvania educator, secondary instructional coach, and co-founder of Belfont Reads, a dedicated group of book lovers with a mission to put quality books in the hands of children and families. I'm always excited to bring on podcast guests, but I am especially pumped for today because I get the opportunity to connect with an old friend. In my effort to recruit guests for season two, I decided to guilt some of my educator friends on Facebook into joining the show. Yes, I'm that person that tagged a bunch of people in a post. One of the people I tagged is Maryland educator Matt Green. It's been way too long since we've seen each other, and I'm so excited to catch up. Better yet, I know he has a wealth of knowledge to share with you about the topic of becoming a National Board Certified Teacher. All right, everyone. So I am so excited to welcome a very special guest to today's podcast. Um, I'd like to introduce you to Matt Green. Matt Green and I go way far back, all the way in college. We both went to the University of Maryland and we kind of, our paths went two different ways. Matt stayed in Maryland and I eventually moved on to Pennsylvania. So it's been a really long time since we've connected and I'm so thrilled that he has agreed to be a podcast guest today. So Matt, if you could start off just by sharing a little bit about yourself and your professional background with listeners, um, that would be great. Sure. Uh, So my name is Matt Green. I am about to start my 20th year of teaching. Um, I have my national board certification. I have done all of them in Montgomery County Public Schools, um, all at the same school, actually the middle school I went to. So I haven't really moved far in life, although I've been able to see the world a bit. Um, I've did 18 years of sixth grade social studies. And then last year I did sixth, seventh and eighth grade engineering. And this year I'm jumping back to social studies. The engineering was just a random blip, but it was a lot of fun. If you ever get a chance to do engineering, just do it for a year because it's a lot of fun. Um, and other than that, you know, I'm just living the dad life down here in in, in Olney, Maryland. Good times. Yeah, I, I that's really cool that you, I think that takes a lot of, I don't know if I want to say guts, but like to be in a position for 18 years and then make such what I feel is kind of a drastic switch, right? Going from social studies to engineering. And I have some friends um, who do some STEM related roles and they do say how much fun it is and how much they love it. So that's cool. Um, I've talked before in the podcast about the Destination Imagination Program. I don't know if you have that in your school or not. I, I can't say I've heard of it, but I'll look it up. Yeah, definitely. But it's all like STEAM focus. It's a a competitive, uh, creative problem solving challenge, STEAM focused competition, which is really cool. So that's awesome. So 20 years of teaching, that's a huge accomplishment. And you have a lot to offer, I'm sure, about the topic of professional learning. So uh, the focus of our conversation today is going to be on the National Board Certified Teacher process because you've been through that. And I know you shared that you gained a ton of professional learning by going through that process. But before we start that topic of the conversation, because you work in Montgomery County Public Schools, which I'm not sure if people know where, where that is located in Maryland, but according to Matt, it's the 17th largest public school system in the United States, which is crazy. So I'm sure because it's so large, your professional learning model is going to look very different from those of us that are in smaller districts. So if you don't mind just sharing a little bit about what the current professional learning model looks like in your district, just so that we have an idea of that. 
Yeah. So um, the way the way our system is structured, you know, we're huge. We've got thousands of teachers, hundreds of schools, hundreds of thousands of students. Right. Um, my school has 600 kids and then the other middle school in my town has about a thousand. So it's not really balanced. But um, the way it works is every school has a staff development teacher. So each school has one specific person whose job is to do staff development. And the consequence of that is we don't really necessarily have professional development days where it's a full release day. Instead, pretty much every other week, we have some type of staff development. So as a school, uh, you know, the county, so the county will have specific, we want you guys to do these types of things. Um, so there's a huge anti-racist uh, push going through the county right now. And so there's a lot of PD coming down that way over those topics. But then the school itself will have specific lenses it will look through. So our school looked at specifically uh, boys, right? And so how are we teaching boys and what's the impact of that? So we had, you know, a couple of days, you know, of 45 minute lessons every every other week to focus on how are we teaching the boys in our school. Um, and so every school gets something a little bit more tailored to the school versus just the county as, as at large. Um, the county was going to try a new system this year, but it failed because the budget didn't get passed where we were going to have uh, staff development still you know, every other week, but then we were going to have release days as well. Um, and the kids would be in the school while the teachers went to professional development. Um, and it, it was it was going to be interesting to see how it all played out, but it, not this year because there wasn't the money. The, the county just didn't pass the money. So so you don't have in your district any days where it's the kids are off, there's no school and teachers are learning? Not really. Um, the days that we have where the kids are off and the teachers are working are for grading and reporting. Um, there's a couple. So we don't have religious holidays in Montgomery County Public Schools anymore. Um, they don't they don't sit like we're, we get off for Yom Kippur. We get off for Eid. We get off for the Lunar New Year, but they don't say that anymore. So it says PD. Um, but most te most schools now, you know, that's a chance for teachers to kind of do their own self-exploration of what do I want to go and study. Uh, there might be some asynchronous stuff, but most schools aren't holding teachers to have to come in. Um, and teachers are kind of able to do their own type of learning on something. Wow. And then I'm guessing because it's such a large district, there's no opportunities to bring the entire district, you know, teachers, uh, administrators together for trainings or guest speakers or anything like that over the summer what they'll do is they'll have specific like if you you know if there's a new socialized curriculum all the socialized teachers have to attend it if there's a new health curriculum all the health teachers have to attend it. if there's a new social emotional learning piece then the schools that are tapped for that all those teachers have to attend it you know we did leader and me if you know that um so we had to attend those trainings over the summer um and so, but it's very, there's not one where it's like all the high school teachers and middle school teachers and elementary school teachers are showing up. It would, there's, that would require more than the Comcast Center probably or the Comcast Center, right? I was just thinking in my head, if you got everybody together, you'd probably have to go to the University of Maryland and sit in the gym, you know, and like you said, the Comcast Center, and even then it might not fit everybody. Yeah. That's just, that's just so different from us here because- you know, as I've shared on the podcast, like we're a very small school district. We only have six total schools mm. and pretty much all of our teachers in every building at least know each other. So I can't even picture that. But I think I think that situation that you're in, because it's such a large district and because there's really no way to necessarily bring everybody together, I think that does leave a lot of room for teachers 
if they have the drive, right, Mm -hmm. to explore their own professional learning passion. So that leads me to our topic of conversation, which is the fact that you are a national board certified teacher. So first of all, congratulations on that. That is a, a, a huge accomplishment. But I, I don't know a lot about that process. I'm just being honest. I've never been through it myself. I can't even remember a teacher in our district. Who, I don't even think we have any national board certified teachers. So I know very little about that process. So why don't you just start from the beginning with number one, why did you decide to explore moving in that direction? Um, so I had a, a buddy who did it a couple of years before me, and he's very similar personality as me where I'm not type A. A um, little bit type A in the classroom, but most of the time not type A about most things and whatever happens, happens, right? And he was able to do it. And I was like, okay, this seems pretty easy. Um, and this was like back in like 2008, just as the economy was starting to crash and our our pay raises were disappearing. And the state of Maryland was offering $2,000 if you had your national board certification. So it's like, oh, okay, I can make my own pay raise, right? And Montgomery County Public Schools was kind of matching that. So it's like, Okay, I can do this. Like, how can I get my own money? At the same time, um, I have I have a very distinct view of education and what social studies education can be. And me being an engineering teacher for a year isn't that different than how I was teaching social studies. Um, and there was a lot of people who just kind of thought like, oh, you're just playing in your classroom. So having the national board credentials was like, no, look, I'm actually doing real work. And here's a way to show you. Um, and so that's kind of those two things at, at the same moment, like how can I get more money and, and prove my worth? Well, and I'm going to take a stab at it here, but when you're talking about your view on education that might be unique than others, are you talking about like your classroom is very student-centered, very student-led? Um, it's it's very hands-on. It's very interactive. There's, you know, we, we it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, mm-hmm. social studies can be really boring. I'll yeah. be first. It. And so, you know, trying, you know, we focus more on the wars and that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard, I learned recently I teach like a boy, um, which I know seems like a silly thing, but most teachers don't teach like boys. And so that kind of set me apart. And I was like, and I've learned to just lean into that. And it makes it more fun for me and the kids usually. So what you're saying is you're not that teacher, the sage on the stage. You're not going to stand at the front of the classroom and lecture for 45 minutes about this particular social studies topic. Not usually, but when I do, the kids are fully into it because those are going to be the wars and it's going to be violent and we're hitting all those details. And then the rest of the time, the kids are going to have, you know, they're going to have projects or they're going to have, you know, there's a lot of essays we have to write. So finding the historical documents that are more interactive and that type of stuff. Well, and now that you're going back into the social studies world, this made me think of something. But one of the other podcasts that I listen to is is called the Well Played Podcast. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, It's all about gamification in Mm -hmm. um, education. And I think that sounds like something that would be like a great fit for you if you don't already do that. But um, one of the guys who hosts that podcast is is a former social studies teacher. So he always shares a lot of ideas about how he gamified social studies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've made made like um, escape rooms and, and, and stuff like that. The Amazing Race and Survivor, you know, there's ways to get all that stuff in. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, so that's why you decided to explore your certification. So what what did that initial step or what did those initial steps look like toward that process? So MCPS has great infrastructure for the national board process. Um, And for me, so at the moment, I'm the only national board certified teacher at my school. There will probably be another one come November. And there's been three who have been certified in my time. 
Um, and so we have this infrastructure where there's quite a few of us. I think 5% of the district has it. Um, and so it was, you know, the, the state of Maryland pays the, the, the SA fee or the, the, the entrance fee um, that you have to do to do it. Um, and because Maryland really wants people to be certified. Um, and Montgomery County really wants people to be certified. So there's a lot of red tape that is cut for us. You just say, hey, I want to do it. And you just have to promise that you submit your work and you don't have to pay a dime. It's really nice. Wow. That's that's really great. And that's awesome that the district supports that. And probably because it is such a large district. Do you know why they're, I mean, obviously I know there's a lot of benefits to it, but why the big push to try to get everybody certified? Um, Montgomery County likes to call itself, you know, one of the best school districts in the country. So how can you, how can you back up your words? Well, you have more national certified teachers than anyone else. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's fantastic that you just, that you don't have to pay a dime for it. Obviously there's a lot of work you have to put into it, but it's nice not to have to front that money. So, um, okay. So what does it look like? So what, what is the, what is the application process look like? I don't even know if it's called an application process. Yeah. Cause again, I don't have a lot of experience, but what does the process of becoming certified look like for a teacher? So it, it's changed since when I did it and I did it 13 years ago and the entire process is different now, but I've been involved in the infrastructure uh, on and off in that time. Um, but essentially you have to write an essay kind of speaking to the four core values of the national board. Um, and they write those out for you because I can't tell you what they are off the top of my head. Um, and you write an essay and you submit it. And if they like the essay, they're like, okay, cool. Come, come on this journey. And if they don't like it, then I guess they're like, nope, sorry. Try again later. Um, <laughs> And, and that's just, that's all you need to do to start the process. Um, and that essay could even just be to get the scholarship, but you might not even have to do the essay. Like that might go to the state versus the national board itself. But essentially, you know, the state's paying that money for you to do it. Um, and if not, you probably could just pay your own money and, and jump in. Yeah. Okay. So you're in, right? So a teacher gets in, they've written that essay or whatever. They've done that first step. What are the other steps that they need to do throughout the process to get that official certification? So you can choose to do the process in one, two, or three years. When I did it, it was just one year, um, but now you have three years to do the process. And if you mess up somewhere along the way, you have a chance to redo it. Um, so you're getting feedback and, and you can go back and redo it. Um, and so the way I like, what I tell people, and I tell everyone, do the national board process. Like there's no, you know, I say, if I can do it, you can do it. Um, <laughs> And it's if if you look at it as you are doing four college essays over the course of three years, right? And if you keep that in perspective, you can do it, right? Um, and and the essays like you have to, you, you have to record yourself teaching. Um, and so if you're thinking about doing this, the recording yourself teaching always sounds as the daunting piece. But the kids are super flexible and the kids are super chill. And at the beginning of the school year, you just you just set that up and the kids just know, oh, in this class, the teacher films us. Right. And then you explain why. And you say, I'm just doing it to be a better teacher. And the kids are like, oh, I want a better teacher. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you just have to go and you're analyzing. So you maybe like the, the two videos, you know, you're, you're analyzing your teaching. Why are you saying what you're saying? But you're also watching the kids. And it's like, okay, because when you are standing in front of the classroom and you are teaching, you are thinking about the 5,000 things at once, but you don't get to see all the pieces. And when you go back and watch the video, now you get to go back and say, okay, well, this kid wasn't on task. Why were they not on task? And you have to explain what everyone is doing and be able to explain why you're doing what you're doing. So you're really getting in depth into why are the words that are coming out of your mouth even coming out of your mouth. 
How many, how many videos, I mean, maybe it's changed again since you've done it because you said it's been 13 years, but if you recall, like how many different videos do you need to create of you teaching? You need to do two. Um, you know, when I did it, it was a large group and a small group. Um, I don't know if that's still specific to it, but you have to make two videos, which sounds really small. It's daunting because you're going to end up making like 30 videos um, because the audio is not going to work or, you know, the kids aren't going to be speaking loud enough. Um, but now, now it's more flexible. You can use your iPhone. It, the technology has met what their requirements now are. So it is, it is easier to record. It just is, it's a mental burden. So you have to record the video of you teaching and of the kids, but then part of that process is you talking about your takeaways from watching that video. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's what's great about the national board process is it's it really is not why are you being successful, but what have you messed up and what can you do better? Right. And when you're talking about professional learning, the idea is is where can I improve? Right. And so, you know, for me, I always went through the lens of I want them to know that I know my kids. Right. Um, and one of the key questions is always, how does it impact students in their learning? So you come up with this great lesson. The great story of national boards is there was this guy who came up with this lesson where the kids went and they, you know, fell of a tree. They hollowed it out and they made it to this canoe that the Native Americans had made. And he didn't get national board certified. He's like, but I did this awesome project. But it's like, OK, how did that actually impact student learning? And if you can't explain that, no matter what you're doing, you're not really showing the learning that they want to show that, that, that they want to see. Are there, so is, are you assigned like, for lack of a better word, like a consultant that kind of helps you through that process and reviews your videos and gives you feedback? Or is it just somebody watching your video with your own debriefing that then decides, yep, they met this requirement and yep, it's clear their kids like grew as learners. So you, you write your four essays, you've got the three years to do it. You can choose which parts you want to do. Um, and then you submit, um, and you know, there's specific questions that you have to answer. Um, and, and the questions are annoyingly written and they're sometimes hard to decipher. And that's where some of the pain of the national boards comes in. Um, and then you send it off and then you get your scores back. Um, and you know, if you answered the questions the, the way they wanted answered, then you get this, you know, you get a passing score. If not, you get a lower score and um, you get to go and back and analyze, okay, why didn't I do well on that? What can I do to improve? Wow. Okay. And you said, you said about four essays from what mm -hmm. you were, that they have to write. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember, I know you said you couldn't remember the specific things, but generally speaking, what, what's the context of the questions that you're being asked? Um, Kind of so somewhat on student writing, student learning. Um, there's a big data one. The most difficult one is about data, and you're and you're pulling all this data. So if you are thinking about going through the national award process, save everything. Save every parent email that is sent to you that is praise. Save every piece of data that you've collected, um, and so that way you just start to have a collection of artifacts, um, and this can help you start to analyze, you know, whatever the data question specifically is. Um, and I wish I, I wish I, at this moment, I'm like, oh, I don't sound very knowledgeable, but my entire thing when I work with the infrastructure of MCPS is it doesn't really matter. It's just take a deep breath and you mm -hmm. can do it, right? Mm -hmm. You are a professional and this is a chance to show that you're a professional. So it doesn't matter really what the question is. You mm -hmm. can do it. You've got the information. Um, and I always worked on the time management piece of, Ensure that you get to keep your life. Ensure that you get to keep your friends. 
you're not going to be locked away forever doing this thing. Well, I think that's really important. And it's, it's something personally that I struggle with because I put so much time into my work. And even like starting this podcast, I when I, the idea came to my head last year, I was like, oh, I really want to do it, but it's one more thing. And I already mm-hmm. have so many other things, but um, I'm still trying to do it in a way where I am still able to keep, you know, some resemblance of a life and spending yeah. time with family and still finding time for other things that I enjoy. So it's possible then to move forward, move forward with your national board certified teacher um, process and also still continue to have a life at the same time is what you're saying. Yeah. What I tell when I would, when I would do the trainings, I would tell people, okay, go circle your birthday, go circle your friend's birthdays. Those are, you know, what are the non-negotiables? You know, for me, Wednesday night was survivor night and I get together with my buddies to watch survivor. That's a non-negotiable. I'm mm-hmm. not giving up that time because that's what makes me me. Mm-hmm. Right. If it's Sunday football. It's Sunday football. If it's, you know, an Orioles game, every goes um, every Thursday yeah. night, whatever it may be. Right. Um, circle those and you, you cannot give those times up because that's what makes you, you. Um, and then I said, pick one night a week where you don't have something. And that's what my, my buddy had called it fun lockdown. And you tell everybody, you know what, Tuesday nights from seven to nine, I'm on fun lockdown. You cannot bother me at this time. I'm not setting plans. This is when I'm working on this. Yeah. And people will support that, right? If you tell people you're trying to lose weight, they're going to support you try to lose weight. If you tell people, hey, I'm trying to improve, they're, you know, don't be secretive about it. Like, I want to get this. I need your help by blocking out all the noise for these two hours. Well, and you mentioned this. You said when I do the training. So what, what were you talking about there? Do you train other teachers or help support other teachers in moving with forward with their cert? Not since uh, COVID, um, but pre-COVID, I, I think I was a, a mentor for one teacher. So they would send me you know, their essays, I kind of looked over it. Um, I would go, you know, as I said, we have a huge infrastructure. So over the summer, teachers would get together and, they, you know, there'd be about 100 or so teachers. It's bigger now because Maryland is offering so much more money, which I'll say in a moment. Um, but I would go to the training as the time management guy. And I would, you know, do an hour or two, like, here, let's look at our calendars for the year. How can we set ourselves up for success and not stress? Because stress is the enemy of success. Mm-hmm. And, and people seem to really respond to it. I had a group one year of like five people who I promised them every Friday, I would send them pictures of my dog just to remember that there's a world out there. And, you know, they, you know, like I forgot once and they're like, dude, where's your dog? We need to see a picture of your dog. Like, okay, my bad. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Now you were talking about Maryland paying a whole lot more. What does that mean? Do I need to move back to Maryland? (laughs) Yeah, you do. Um, So Maryland now, because they passed the blueprint for education is offering $10,000 a year. For national board certified teachers and if you're working in a title one school there's an extra seven thousand on top of it wow are you serious yeah maryland wants national board certified teachers oh wow well and nothing against pennsylvania i love working in pennsylvania every state i'm sure has its pros and cons but starting off teaching in maryland um when i first started my career there in my first four years before i moved up to pennsylvania i i, I thought their educational system was great i felt like ahead of the times um, very innovative, very progressive. And so it seems like they're still moving toward that way. So if you are a Maryland teacher listening right now and you are not national board certified, it's probably something that you should consider for, for a variety of reasons. Um, and, and I'm wondering, Matt, I don't, I don't know. If I'll send you, sorry, I was gonna say, you can email me and I'll send you pictures of my dog to help motivate <laughs> you to get the work done. There you go. You heard that. You get free pictures from Matt of his adorable dog. And what, what's your dog's name? 
I actually have two of them. Um, I've got a dog named Kex, which is Icelandic for cookie. And then uh, I've got a puppy, a two-year-old uh, named Ashton, um, who we like to call the shark. <laughs> well, who does not want puppy pics, right? Yeah. That's super motivating. So yeah, if you're a Maryland teacher, hop on right now, find out more information. Um, I don't know if you know the answer to this, Matt, but like I'm thinking myself, so I'm not in a classroom role. So what about those people that aren't in like directly teaching students? I I work with teachers, I support teachers. And through that process, like I will go in, I'll co-teach lessons with teachers, I'll help them plan. So I'm in classrooms, I would probably say 50% of my time. Do you have to be a full-time classroom teacher to get certified or, or, or what? Um, there's, I mean, they have an admin cert at this point. And I think there's a counseling one. I don't know if there's a professional development teacher one, you know, a staff development teacher one. But if you are, say, helping math teachers most of the time, you could get the math one. And then, you know, in the state of Maryland, to get the pay, you just have to prove that you are still working with kids. Okay. Um, yeah. So I don't, there are so many different certifications because like there's social studies for like kind of like middle school level kids. And then there's social studies for high school level kids. And it's, you know, so it's kind of scattershot's not the right word, but scattershot's the best picture I can come up with in my mind. Well, because honestly, I've never thought about it before because I don't think that in our contract, we offer any additional money for national board certification. And it's not a reason not to do it or whatever, because obviously yeah. you're going to grow a lot. But I just thought, well, is it something I could do? Um, again, not that I need one more thing, but <laughs> it would be nice to, I guess, prove myself after 20 years and, you know, of, mm -hmm. as, as an educator that, yeah, I'm legit. Um, okay. So what have you learned? So let's take it back to, you know, professional learning. So going through this process, yes, you're getting more money. That's fantastic. Yes. You're proving yourself as an educator, but what have you learned as a professional that has helped you to grow and continue to grow all of these years later? Um, how does it impact students and their learning, right? That question right there has become kind of the question I fall back on all the time. How does it impact students and their learning? And that's kind of the, the, the question when I have my, um, my PLCs. So we have PLCs, which are really just planning partners. Um, that's the question that we ask each other. Cause sometimes I'll come up with this completely outlandish idea of like, Oh, let's go build this huge thing. And the other teachers can be like, yes, but how is it impacting student learning? Like yeah. what's the actual benefit of it? Um, it is a fantastic question. It's a question that will get you in a lot of trouble with most administrators because you start to think, well, how is this actually impacting student learning? Or is this just some other thing? Um, and it's, kind of where I learned my voice, right? And I learned to use my voice and start saying, well, wait, this isn't necessarily impacting student learning the way it should. Um, and, you know, as a social studies teacher, it's great to be able to use that voice um, when needed. So it's, in other words, it's given you, I guess that frame of mind to always frame everything around that question, but also it's kind of given you some confidence to speak up. When you mm -hmm. feel like maybe this isn't the best, the best thing for students. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and, and it's even completely like, if you looked at what, I, you know, I, I taught sixth grade social studies for 18 years. So you think by year 18, I'm just rolling out the balls. Right. Um, and if you look at what I was doing in year 18 compared to year eight, right. I was such a better teacher at year 18 because I was able to see, oh, here's where the kids need to be, even though it might be fun to do this little project. No, I need the kids to do the essay. And so I need to completely rearrange how I teach everything 
in order to get them ready to be able to do an essay in eighth grade? What can I do in sixth grade to get them there? Right. And it all comes down to that question. How does it impact students in their learning? Well, and then that's perfect example of reflection. I mean, that's one of the things that as teachers, we don't, most of us don't take the time to do on our own because we don't have the time. It's not mm -hmm. often incorporated into professional learning days or PLCs or whatever. So, you know, going through that process really gave you the time to reflect on your teaching and mm -hmm. your students and their learning. Yeah. Um, and I'm and I'm better for it and richer for it too. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Okay. Before we get into the closing questions of the podcast, is there anything else that you'd like to add that you didn't mention about the National Board Certified Teacher process? Once again, it seems really daunting, but it's it's not. I don't have a master's. I don't have a doctorate, but I've got my National Board Certification. Um, and it's going to open up a lot of doors if I ever try to go somewhere else because 3% of all teachers have it nationally. Right. And so it sets you apart and it shows that you are serious about your profession. Um, and it's not hard. Right. It's four college essays over the course of three years. There's a couple of 30 minute tests you have to take to show that you actually know your content as well. Um, I didn't study for those because how do you study for all of human history? Um, <laughs> but that shows right that that's my perspective on things like there's no way to study for all of human history. I'm just going to go take the tests. If I pass, I pass. If I don't, I don't. And I got national board certified in one year, right? And if I can do it, right, you can too. Yep. If Matt can do it, you can do it. <laughs> yep. All right. So Matt, that wraps up this portion of our conversation. As you know, at the end of every episode where I have a guest on, I always ask the same three questions. It's just to get everyone's perspective on professional learning, no matter where in the world you reside. So my first question for you, and it's okay to be honest, but just don't use any personal identifying information. But the first question is, briefly describe your worst professional learning experience as a participant and what made it so terrible. I think there's there's a couple that come to mind. There is, we had the same TED Talk video used three years in a row. And I was like, by year three, it's like, okay, lights off, I'm, I'm gonna go somewhere else, right? <laughs> Um, but then any professional learning that's been done over Zoom the last couple of years, I turn off. I, I have no idea what you're saying anymore. I just, I can't, mm -hmm. I can't focus on it. My brain just can't. And so if you're going to be talking to me through a computer, you're, you're saying words, but I'm not hearing them. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's, you know, it can be, you know, uh, virtual learning can be effective. It just has to be done the right way. So find yeah. a way to find a way to keep you engaged. Yeah. Okay. I agree. The same TED talk three years in a row. That's just poor planning. <laughs> and I promised my wife I would say this. Any for her, any professional learning that requires doing a think pair share. <laughs> she's, she's a school psych, and she's she works the job of one and a half teachers, right? Yeah. Um, and so she's like, just tell me what you need me to know. Don't have me have to digest the information and then share out my feelings on it. Like, let's just get to the point. Um, yeah. And so, so I would share that. Well, you let her know too. She's always welcome to come on the podcast, especially with her unique role as a school psychologist. I know, I've, I mean, I know the school psychologist in my district and other districts and, you know, they're often shoved into these mass professional learning sessions where it really doesn't apply to them. So if she ever wants to talk about what it looks like for her, what it should look like. Um, that'd be great. Will do. Okay. All right, but good job. You get bonus points because you you said what your wife wanted you to say. So there you go. You're already one on this podcast. Yes. Okay. 
Um, the next question is, what was your best? So think back, what's been your best professional learning experience and what made it so great? So for me, I haven't had a best. I've had moments where, where I didn't realize I needed the thing that I got, right? Um, I did some trainings through the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, which I think works with some schools in Pennsylvania. You should look into it because they're fantastic. But I didn't know I needed those. I was just doing it because it was easy credits. And then it's like, it completely changed my perspective on the world, right? Um, I did some trainings through the Kid Museum down in uh, Bethesda, Maryland. And I, you know, I needed to learn engineering, but I didn't know I needed that set of skills. So there's always little things along the way that I didn't necessarily know I needed it at that moment mm -hmm. that has greatly influenced, you know? And um, I took a, a stat class and the teacher was like, if all your kids fail the test, it's not the kid's fault, mm -hmm. right? How great of a little nugget of information is that, right? That you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily searching for, but it finds you sometimes. So any type of professional learning that really makes you think and grows your skill set. Yeah. You would say, as long as, as long as, again, as long as it's done effectively, you don't necessarily want that over Zoom. Yeah. And, you know, I think you had a principal on not too long ago and he was saying like, you know, there's always something to be pulled from everything. I could pull a warm up from one of our daily uh, staff development things and I can all of a sudden that become a huge, huge part of my class. Yeah. So. Yeah. Great. OK. And then the last question, Matt, is if you could only give one piece of advice to those in charge of planning and or facilitating professional learning experiences for educators, what would that advice be? Um, I think it would be kind of one of the themes of your podcast has been, you know, kind of finding the people where they are and helping them meet what their needs might be instead of these massive blanket professional developments. Mm -hmm. um, when it's just some blanket thing. You're probably turned off. You're just another, you know, another cow within the whatever it is. That that yeah, there. Thank you. I couldn't come up with the word. Disappeared. You're a cow. I think that's the word. I mean, are you trying to say, because I live in Pennsylvania, I know that. <laughs> yeah. You're a cow within the cow thing. Yeah. Um, but being able to tailor the experience to this is what this teacher needs. Like, okay, this teacher is really proficient in writing and teaching writing. So maybe not have them do that. But they really stink at analyzing selective response data. Right. Um, and that requires a lot of effort on the staff development teacher to do that, but that's going to be more effective than just blanket topics. Well, and I mean, what you're talking about is differentiation and it's what we want our teachers to be doing in the classroom with their students to differentiate learning. So we should absolutely be using that same model with our teachers. I mean, our teachers are professionals and I don't remember who said this. Um, and one of my, one of my guests said something similar to this, but just that like teachers just want to be respected, mm -hmm. you know, treat them as the professionals that they are. So I understand you still in, in different professional learning models, you have to still be moving everybody, you know, toward the same direction, but there's still different ways to row, to row that boat, I guess, maybe not, I'm not a rower, but like yeah. <laughs> there's still different ways to get to that final destination. So I think that's really important to keep in mind. And honestly, if I had to answer that question myself, I would probably say something similar. I think in all of my years as an instructional coach, I really learned how important differentiation is and how teacher autonomy and teacher choices, you know, they have to own that learning um, in, in order to grow. And we should absolutely give them the flexibility to do that. So awesome. Well, Matt, this was a great conversation. It was, it was so awesome. 
so awesome to catch up with you after all of these years. I was telling my kids, um, you know, because I had to bring them to school a little bit early. They're not at school. They're at a camp. But I'm like, hey, guys, we have to leave a little little bit early. And, you know, waking up teenagers a little bit earlier in the summer is not always fun. And they're like, why? Why do we got to do this? And I said, well, I have a podcast interview today. And, of course, they're like, well, who are you interviewing? Because I always make them listen to it. They Mm -hmm. hate it. I make them listen to every episode, to every episode, which they have zero interest in, but they're supportive. They're supportive. And I was telling him, I said, Hey, it's my friend, Matt from so long ago. We went to call to college at the university of Maryland. I haven't seen him in forever. Although did we see each other? I don't know. Years ago when we got together on campus for a game, were you there? I think I, I think I had, I think my daughter was like not even one at that moment. And so I was like, there's the, the, just, the logistics just didn't work. Yeah, I feel like maybe you weren't there, but everybody else was. And we were like, where's Matt? So yeah. I was trying to tell them about you, but I, I told them it had been a long time. So Matt, maybe, maybe we can get together this fall because I think it was just released yesterday that Penn State's coming to Maryland. So Interesting. we could, we could bring down my, my Penn State yeah. crew and we can tailgate at a Maryland game and Penn State will probably win. Sorry, even though I'm a Maryland grad. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and to your kids, if your kids are still listening at this point and you haven't cut it out, um, every time you listen to this podcast, this specific one, your mom's going to go get you ice cream. Okay. I'm cutting that part out for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, Matt, it was great to talk to you. Have a wonderful rest of your summer and a really awesome start to your new school year. Yeah, you too. All right. Have a great one. All right, friends, that music means we've entered the takeaway time portion of this podcast. What resonated with you about my conversation with Matt? Did our chat convince you to look into potentially becoming national board certified? Post your thoughts about this episode on Twitter using the hashtag PLPlaybookPodcast. Okay, so that's all for today. I've put a link in the show notes that you can explore to find out more information about becoming a National Board Certified Teacher. Also, don't forget to share this episode with any colleagues you feel might be interested. Until next time, friends.